The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast. You're going to hear interviews from our guests, special behind-the-scenes content, and the latest headlines. Look for us every day on cbc.com slash podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, or on your favorite podcast app. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Here's what we're squawking about today. White House Special Assistant and Trade Advisor Peter Navarro on the impeachment inquiry's political fallout. Make no mistake about this, Joe. This is an attempted coup d'etat. Plus, Mohammed El Arian of Allianz on how investors should read the political headlines. The market assumes that the Senate will continue to stand by President Trump. And it's time for a tech bro reckoning, says journalist Joanne Lippman. You have these companies that have these big, charismatic leaders. That's what's led us to this technology bubble. We've got those stories and much more from Elon Musk to Downton Abbey. It was a busy morning. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Monday, September 30th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Three, two, one, cue please. Good Monday morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Kayla Tausche with Joe Kernan and Wilfred Frost. Becky and Andrew are off today. First up today, China. The markets dipped at the end of last week on reports that the U.S. may be limiting American investment in the country. Today, though, a U.S. Treasury official clarified that the administration will not be pursuing that strategy. That's likely a welcome headline in China, especially ahead of an important holiday tomorrow. October 1st is China's National Day, this year marking 70 years since the 1949 establishment of the Communist People's Republic of China. As Monday was winding down in China, CNBC's Beijing-based reporter Yunus Yun broke down what investors are watching in tomorrow's celebrations. Earlier today, the foreign ministry made a rare statement um, at its press briefing uh, saying that any decoupling of China and the U.S. would harm both sides and cause instability in global markets. And I say it's rare because the ministry generally doesn't like to comment on what it considers to be rumors. But uh, separately from that, analysts here had been uh, scratching their heads as to what kind of harm uh, these types of restrictions would have on China in any case, because foreign investors generally uh, don't have a whole lot of money into the Chinese stock markets, and of course that includes U.S. investors. And then um, on top of that, the Chinese have been trying themselves to market their own markets to Chinese companies and to make them more attractive. And more recently, uh, they even established a NASDAQ-style exchange in Shanghai. So this move, if it were to happen by the Trump administration, was seen as one that could be playing right into China's hands. But the big festivities are going to be tomorrow. We're going to have a military parade and a big party, and then there's President Xi Jinping's speech. And so most investors are watching to see if he's going to make any comment about China's attitude or any change in policy towards the West. 
While China celebrates the republic's founding, protesters in Hong Kong prepare for what could be the most tense day of their pro-democracy demonstrations. NBC reporter Janice Mackey Freyer wraps up the 17th straight weekend of protests there. What a seething Sunday it was here with riot police firing hundreds of rounds of tear gas, hundreds of rubber bullets, including near us. Uh, they use water cannons, sponge grenades, pepper spray against protesters who were throwing firebombs, uh, vandalizing metro stations, and even uh, pulling up bricks from sidewalks to throw at police. Uh, this was the 17th straight weekend of protest. It was easily the most violent. Uh, over 150 arrests were made, and that's a sign that police are showing no tolerance for dissent. The timing of all of it, of course, is significant with China having its national day tomorrow. There are huge celebrations planned for Beijing for the 70th anniversary. Uh, there'll be a military parade through Tiananmen Square. Xi Jinping will oversee it. And it's such a big deal in China. The government even donated 620,000 TV sets to Chinese households who didn't have one so that nobody would miss the festivities. Of course, what they won't be seeing is the split screen that most of the world will see with what will be happening here. It's expected to be a tense and very violent day. Uh, police are urging people to avoid violence. They have banned most protests, but it's not expected that protesters are going to listen. Police say that they should expect a dangerous day. There will be clashes across the city with the first protests expected to start just after dawn. Corporate news this morning. Shares of AB InBev Asia's uh, Pacific unit rose more than 6% in Hong Kong today on their first day of trading. This is the second biggest IPO so far this year, behind only Uber. Many analysts say that the AB InBev offer is a major test of investor sentiment amid political protests uh, in Hong Kong during recent months. We've got our own issues here with the IPO window, whether that's, uh, whether that's still open. We'll see. I guess we'll test it again. Certainly a few data points last week not looking uh, so positive for that market. Even about WeWork today, it's like, I mean, it's, it's weird. WeWork Endeavor seeing Peloton. No, but WeWork today where they can't, no one's, commercial real estate in New York is now being affected because there's no leases being signed for WeWork anymore. It, it, this is like the first time in history, I think, that the bag isn't being held by the poor retail investors that get in on the IPO. It's the private market that are, are taking, you know, the brunt of the, uh, re- revaluation of but, WeWork, which at $47 billion, obviously... But that's also the positive spin to put on it. The, yeah. The, 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 worst, least, the public market has managed really to do the due people. diligence, right. and they obviously did it with, with, uh, with um, Endeavor as well, but the case well, with Endeavor's Peloton and Uber and Lyft do show... Endeavor might be a little different, uh, as, as Kramer pointed out last week, in that they had, you know, when you get to a certain point and you're tainted by the other IPOs, you just decide I'm not coming out at this price. I don't need to come out at this price and I'm not coming well, out. Well, Peloton got away with an aggressive valuation. It's, it's down since, but it got top of the range, 8 billion valuation, 1 billion. So that's an example of, of the flip side where they still managed to get it away that week. But uh, if you I, don't want to I, do it at, at a lower price, if it, you know, no, of course. The, the range was already lowered and then it was going to be below that. It's just like, I'll just wait. But where WeWork is concerned, several major banks for the last three years have been warning that corporate real estate may be, if not overvalued, at least fully valued. And so it does raise the question of what sort of governance the private market was able to provide or if they were just throwing money at this company and saying, you do what you do best, we're going to take our hands off. And, and that's on them. Oh, absolutely on them. And there's a, a lot of uh, questions for the likes of SoftBank and others who uh, took part in the most uh, recent WeWork private funding rounds and also on the bankers who 
uh, of course, approved the S1's original version. But the bankers who were involved with attracting private market investors, because there's also that round for, for investment bankers. It's not as public. It's not as open. It doesn't go out to as many uneducated investors as an S1 and an IPO process. But they still are you know, trying to entice in private market venture capital funds. And I bet a lot of people are criticizing those those people that Although, told them this is a great deal. I think the vanguards, the Fidelities, the Black Rocks would consider themselves educated investors, of course. but still investing on behalf of the broader public. SpaceX founder and CEO Elon Musk unveiling the company's next generation rocket called the Starship. It's being built to carry people deep into space. Musk outlined a rapid schedule for the program's development. He says he thinks... And we could potentially see people flying next year if SpaceX gets into orbit in about six months. Of course, uh, we can go other, to other places in the solar system, like Saturn. Uh, and, uh, the, but the, the critical thing that we need to focus on, I think, is the fastest path to a self-sustaining city on Mars. Okay. Um, no. No, please, not me. You don't want to go to Mars? You don't want to go to Saturn? I don't want to go to space. At all. Not right now. Maybe, Maybe next the, year. You gotta test the hell out of this thing before I'm I'm headed. There's you know was he offering it's a vac- to be the first No no no, but it's a total vacuum. Total where where are you going? Where Just are you going once a you're up there? The entire time I'd be thinking about getting back here. I don't know. It's just I'd be very I mean, there's reasons that astronauts are heroes and, right. and the bravest people that that we know because when you're and trained for months and months and exactly months. yeah exactly Would you don't you, like the freeze-dried food look uh i don't like that either i don't like any of the things involved I, maybe the weightlessness but i think you can go and, and check Scoop that out in, in a different way would you go next year not next year no Maybe in the thing I'm more interested in all these billionaires. Just apart from just maybe when kids are in college, all they think about is doing the, this. The, the arbitrariness of going into space, I actually agree with you. But if they can make it much quicker than air travel for long distances, right. that that sounds amazing. If they get to that point, because then you can travel to Australia in the space of an hour. You saw the Hyperloop, Washington. Yeah, just to, go, just go up to the moon and then. Well, back that's to this Australia. is to go to moon or Saturn, but 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 <laughs> all the Saturn. technology that's being developed, I. Imagine in a decade or two, two decades' time, we'll allow supersonic air travel again, or, or whatever it's going to be. But th- that has a point to it. I think a lot of our viewers just probably just up. want to get from Greenwich to New York City a little quicker. Well, we have a lot of global here. investor viewers that, that go to Hong Kong and Australia and wherever else. Right. I bet, I that bet there's at least, at least a handful that would benefit. Our, our guest host coming up does a lot of travel. I bet he would. Well, write in and let us know if you want Joe to go to space. No, it's not me. We'll Andrew's the one that says he's going to go, but he's you know afraid to fly, but he's going to go into space. Um, no, I'm not going. Let's get to our uh, guest host, Mohammed Al-Aryan, Allianz chief economic advisor. Years ago when he moved here, he had a choice. Uh, he picked stocks and bonds. He had a choice to pick teams here. He picked the Mets and the, and the Jets, not the Yankees or the Giants. That's um, a long time ago, 1969. doesn't mean anything for, for stocks. Or, yeah, you're right. You won. Long that, time that ago. Right. It's loyalty. It's a reflection. So, Mohammed, um, China trade. I watch the markets. If there's a constitutional crisis, I assume we'll have a pretty big break in, in equity markets. Is, is, have I got that right, or could it just... Could you see no reflection of what's going on politically in the, in the stock market? Joe, we've had relative stability now for a while, and I think that reflects two things. One is a ceasefire on trade. We neither, are res- neither have we resolved nor have we intensified the trade war. But secondly, and more importantly, is the hope in markets that we're going to have a handoff. 
a handoff from monetary policy to fiscal policy. Will you address what I, what I meant, though? And so, it, so let me, let me see a, a break. If there was something else, another shoe drops that, that looks bad where it could change the dynamic in the Senate in terms of Republicans that change public opinion, would you expect the stock market at that point to sell off? Yeah, I mean, if, if the Senate evolves in such a way that an impeachment, right. Right, then we would most likely see a sell-off, yes. Okay. But what's the time frame for that? Because Democrats are saying that this is going to be a relatively tight time frame. Hearings over the next few weeks, deposition of five State Department officials this week, and possibly a vote by November. So does that mean that this could be over and done with relatively soon? Yeah, it could be. I mean, but the market assumes that the Senate will continue to stand by President Trump. That's a critical assumption in the market base right now. But the distraction. So if, I don't th- if I think the Senate the, stays by President Trump, if this does not result yeah, in... I, don't, I think the market has learned to brush off all these political maneuverings and focus on whether you can get a handoff in policy. If you really want to know where we're going to be in the next three months, ask where Germany is going to be. Because the assumption is that we're going to get fiscal expansion out of Germany. I'm not sure we will, but that assumption is deeply embedded. Because so it the market, is noise. So we, won't, we, don't need, we don't want to talk about it. We'd rather talk about all this other stuff. So it's it maybe trade with China. So and tra- then the handoff trade, to, but, but what does that mean? Do we need USMCA? Do we need infrastructure? What are you talking about? A handoff. Okay. So first of all, it's trade plus the possibility of an investment war, which was Friday, plus the possibility of a currency war. And, and, and watch that. Okay, because the probability of that changes. Right now, we're in a ceasefire. Everything is fine. We're talking, etc. But that can move one way or the other. The second element is, is on the policy side. I don't think we've talked enough about what's happening in the repo market as a reflection of concerns that central banks are no longer in full control of outcomes. It hasn't had an impact on the market yet. Why? Because the market has said, that's okay. Monetary policy may become ineffective or, in the case of Europe, harmful, but we've got fiscal policy coming. If that doesn't materialize, then we have a significant downside risk out there. DreamWorks' animated adventure Abominable topped the weekend box office with $20.9 million in ticket sales. Abominable marks the seventh number one film this year for Universal, or eight if you count Downton Abbey, released by the studio's special label Focus Features. I was glad Abominable wasn't in the teleprompter one more time because I think I only got it twice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was lucky to have gotten it twice. Um, will you see Downton Abbey? Well, I thought it was... If- if Lord Fellows is watching, I apologise. But I thought it got tired by the latest series, so no, I can't be bothered. Well, but you could re- rejuvenate it in a movie, couldn't you? Or, or well, I, perhaps. perhaps. So we so, we saw it. go and see it if I'm oh, back home with mum or whatever, but I can't otherwise know. You aren't interested in, in, in getting an update on what Carson's up to with M- Mrs. Hughes and all that stuff? He's a know? good character. The rest of them are really tired and repetitive. So I advise but, but you... Fair play to NBC and, re- and ITV because they have milked that. I miss everybody. And made a fortune. Why watch it when you can live it? Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so we saw it on, Wednesday, on, on Saturday and, and I would recommend you go see it. Really? Yeah. Does something actually happen? Yes. Really? really? Countess yes. is back, right? I mean, she's... The, the so visit of the king and queen. Her. Does cousin Matthew come back to life? That, no, I, he no. should have never. That was that was my wife's biggest regret. That's really why I can't watch it anymore. It's just heartbreaking these, to be reminded of the tragedies. Did he get any have... good roles after that? Really? No, he quit to try and get. Thought he was worth too I much. Perhaps the reporting. I have no idea. But quit because he wanted more money and thought he was going to get above his station. You know, we're going to come Ooh. crashing back to earth right now because we're going to talk U.S.-China trade. Is that okay? 
That's more important. I think it is just about. But you know what? Tell, tell me. We don't need a little escapism lately. I mean, can't we think about other things occasionally? Or no? You're down there in the middle of it all. Right in the thick uh. of it. <sighs> Next on Squawk Pod, Peter Navarro, assistant to President Trump and the director of trade and manufacturing policy on trade talks and the impeachment inquiry. I think it's war. Congress has declared war on this president, electoral process, and the American people. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. And Joe by three, two. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan along with Kayla Tashi and Wilfred Frost. Becky and Andrew are off today. Our guest host, though, Allianz Chief Economic Advisor Mohamed el The U.S.-China trade fight remains front and center for the markets. Uh, in the latest development, Treasury spokeswoman Monica Crowley says the Trump administration has no plans to impose restrictions on Chinese companies listing on U.S. exchanges. And this uh, is following that report on Friday that said the White House was considering an effort uh, to limit U.S. investments in China. Join us now, Peter Navarro. Assistant to the President and Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy Director. At no time was this discussed or ever something that, that was in the works. Peter, this was, that Joe, was fake news, pure and simple. <laughs> For real? Really? Joe, Joe uh, we're going to get to that, and I promise you I'll answer that. But there's something i, I got to say first. Uh, right. Last week, uh, in a single day, President Donald J. Trump signed an historic Japanese trade deal in New York while... In Geneva, Switzerland, a White House-led team negotiated the most radical reform of a multinational organization uh, in history. And, and those two big Trump wins are going to net uh, the American people billions of dollars and thousands of jobs. Yet uh, there was virtually no mention uh, of these big Trump wins in the news. Uh, this, this news cycle was just overwhelmed by the second uh, impeachment circus in three years. And make no mistake about this, Joe, this is an attempted coup d'etat, an end run around the ballot box, and these radical Democrats, have, have they've, they've told us this much. I, I was astonished when Al Green, uh, the Houston congressman, uh, basically said, look, we can't beat Donald J. Trump at the ballot box. Uh, he's too good on the economy. He's standing up to China. we got secure borders. Uh, let's just take him out. Uh, with this impeachment stuff. So uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, 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 I think it's war. Um, the the uh, Congress has declared war on this president, the electoral process, and the American people. And, and it's going to be, as Tulsi Gabbard said, very, very divisive. So um, I, I wanted to just put that out there, Joe, because I, I think this country, um, led by the House of Representatives, has just taken us in a very wrong direction. Let's keep it in, in, in how that affects the, the China uh, trade negotiations that we're talking about, Peter. It, do, do you think that uh, with that as a backdrop, it makes it more likely or less likely uh, that China decides to uh, 
to grant some of our wishes that, that the president stands firm? How does it, and actually just, you said you would answer about the transaction. Yeah, yeah, or, I, about, I do uh, want to get deep uh, into that, Joe. About whether we delist, not transaction, but, but sure. was that ever on the table, delisting the, the Chinese yeah, let, 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 Let's talk about that. I, I think the last time we talked, uh, I proposed uh, Navarro's rule, uh, which is that any sor- a story that comes from anonymous sources is likely to be fake news designed to part a fool from his money. And that story... Uh, which appeared um, in Bloomberg. I've read it uh, far more carefully than it was written. Uh, Over half of it was highly inaccurate or simply flat-out false. But it was market-moving, Joe. Uh, Alibaba took a haircut, other Chinese companies. Uh, And uh, it was really irresponsible journalism. And the problem we have here, it's kind of like the Gresham's Law of Journalism. It's like these bad uh, stories push out the good. And what happens is as soon as Bloomberg puts it out there, there's pressure for others to put it out there. Then it comes up on on, uh, the cable news networks. But Peter, Peter, it doesn't get... Hang on, Kayla, just stop. Um, I want to I want to finish this thought. Wow. Um, this this um, story was just so full of inaccuracies. Uh, and, and in terms of the truth of the matter, the, what the Treasury said, I, I think, was accurate. But but here's the problem I have. But Joe, Treasury, Peter, did not address hey, internal on, Kayla, discussions Kayla, about please, outbound Kayla, U.S. Please, investment. Please, Kayla. I'm, um, I'm trying to ask you a follow up yeah, question because so we Kay- also share Kayla, airtime with you Kayla. here. <laughs> Kayla, Kayla. So, so here's my point. Um, when these stories come out in the press, uh, they're, they're designed to basically uh, have the White House uh, reveal whatever it is is going on there. And so I'm not going to do that. Do you support limits to capital flight? Generally, do you support policies to weaken the dollar? And is there a view at the White House? Is there an early stage discussion about how to do this? if the, the trade dispute with China continues to linger, because that was the crux of the story on Friday. Bloomberg had one story, New York Times, Politico, CNBC, various White House officials are talking to various news outlets, and they didn't all report the same thing. But we have reported in the past uh, that there are some things under consideration uh, that the administration has been evaluating at different stages of development, some brought by Congress, some uh, originating How long is this going to go on, Kayla? Well, we just let you speak <laughs> you for about five minutes. You brought me on as a minutes, guest so. uh, here. It's like... Uh, so I, I believe that so, we can ask a so, follow-up so question. Can I, yeah, yeah, well, that was a follow-up um, a monologue there. Um, here's my point, Kayla. Um, those kind of questions, uh, it's not appropriate for me to answer. Uh, basically... But, Peter, you said other, we're not allowed yeah. to listen to... to to reports according can, can to sources, you're, can I, can you're here on the record and you're saying here? you're not going to answer can a question. I, can, I, can I finish my point here? Um, here's the thing. Uh, when these stories come out, all they are designed to do is to force the White House, people like me, to reveal the inner workings of our trade negotiations with places like China. And I'm not going to do that. The other part of, of the rule I have is the Lighthizer rule that particularly with China and these sensitive areas of negotiation, these things are going to happen behind closed doors. So I, you know, I, I think I've been forthright in telling you that the Bloomberg story was fake news. I think I've been forthright in telling you right now that there are some interesting and significant transparency issues with Chinese stocks, but, uh, but, but that's all I'm going to say. So, Peter, go, go beyond the stories. Sure. Th- there is a view, and you're getting a lot of support. The administration has gotten a lot of support for... The hypothesis, if not now, when? Okay, 
You have the reason what? why the reason why you get the wins you, you talked about it's, is it's because the rest of the world what? believes that the U.S. is serious about this. Serious so why about not what? press what are we further? About? We're talking about why not press China further right now? The economy is weakening. They are they, okay. they are yeah. risking a deal. But why not force them to make sure we get a deal that not just addresses genuine grievances about intellectual property rights, about subsidies, about forced transfer, but also makes this stick. Why not force it harder right now? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Donald J. Trump is standing up to Chinese like no president has done before. And what's on the table is what I've referred to in the past as the seven deadly sins. And you've mentioned part of them. Uh, it's the cyber intrusions into our business networks, the intellectual property theft on hundreds of billions of dollars. It's the forced technology transfer, the dumping, the currency manipulation, the state-owned enterprises. And one of the things that's, that's very important to me is the made-in-China fentanyl. It's uh, going to kill over 100 Americans today and over 50,000 in a year. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little puzzled why uh, you want us to go... Uh, even further, I mean, uh, President Trump uh, is standing up for America on this. You, you're talking about, uh, I think you called it another I- impeachment hoax. How does, with that as a backdrop, yeah. just forecast what, how that changes or does it change our negotiations uh, with the Chinese over the next month or between now and the election even? Well, well let's look at it from two perspectives. One, let's look at it from, from President Trump's perspective. This man has steely resolve about standing up to China. Nothing's going to change about that. The probability uh, of a great deal uh, has not changed, right? He, sa- he has said very clearly, we're either going to get a great deal or we're not. Um, with respect to the Chinese, I, I, think, I think it's fair to say that throughout these negotiations, they've consistently miscalculated the resolve of this president. Uh, and there's a danger here that they might do the same as, uh, as this uh, second impeachment circus is in three years uh, basically uh, is, is fired, uh, uh, fired up. But, I, you know, here, look, make no mistake about this, too. I, this... The, tr- the Trump base is not going to tolerate what's going on. We've got how long before uh, we'd need to see progress uh, and then we'd have more tariffs back on, uh, on China. It's two weeks, right? What do you expect is going to happen? Uh, I expect that on October 10th, the Chinese delegation is going to arrive with Leo Ha leading it. And behind closed doors, uh, he and his team will engage with Ambassador Robert Lighthizer. Uh, and then we'll see what happens. Oh, I hear that a lot from uh, uh, from President Trump. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, well, I, look, you can't, Joe. You can't negotiate uh, do you, do you, in do public. You, the people watching this show who who are investors, I, I just want to reemphasize this point. It's like any news that you hear about China that doesn't quote real sources. This is like a person close. Just don't believe it. Treat it as entertainment, not information. Otherwise. Uh, you're going to get 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 a haircut. Have you ever given briefings to reporters, Peter, off the record? Why why would you ask a question like that? Because you're well, saying what, that what any that story guy? that ever comes out is to be totally disbelieved. Well, what are you talking about? If if you get something off the record, then a, a reporter can't do it. I, you don't even know the rules of journalism. My, my you point have background is that briefings. here's my point. The White here's House often doesn't allow here, people to go my, on the record, Peter, which my, is why there's a here's, here's my litany point. Look, of Ambassador Lighthizer can go on the record anytime he wants. 
Okay? Steve Mnuchin can go on the record anytime he wants. Larry Kudlow can go on the record anytime he wants. Wilbur Ross can go on the record anytime he wants. These are the people who are the, who are the key players in the China negotiations. I'm just telling you. You saw what happened last week, right? You saw Bloomberg puts out a story. Billions of dollars change hands on what is effectively inaccurate information. Now, if you're telling me that's okay, I, you know, is that, Kayla, are you telling me that's okay? I don't report things that aren't fully verified with multiple sources, yeah, well. Peter, but the issue is even <laughs> principals often don't want to be seen disagreeing with the president in public. Yeah, so well. I, would, uh, uh, I would ask the White House a, to revise that policy. That's another shot, too, so... Uh, but, but anyway, how can I help you, Joe? Is there anything else? No, nope, uh, we're done. We're, we're done, Peter. Uh, thanks. I, I, I appreciate it, my friend. Oh, okay. We'll see you later. Thanks. Next on Squawk Pod, Silicon Valley's high-flying stumbles, and we look for links between tech bros, Spider-Man, and Ellen DeGeneres. Journalists Ed Lee. Facebook and Google, they're the establishment. And Joanne Littman. This competition for talent that is bidding up prices for everyone. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today's anchors are Joe Kernan, Wilfred Frost, and Kayla Tausche. Here's Kayla. In three, two, one. The tech industry remains under fire from regulators. The Wall Street Journal is now reporting congressional antitrust regulators are looking at plans by Google to use a new Internet protocol. They fear it could give the tech giant an advantage by making it harder for others to obtain consumer data with all of the ways that Washington is scrutinizing all of these tech companies, it's hard to imagine uh, you know, how they could go forward with certain new products and policies that would be seen as such. And a huge amount of scrutiny even uh, before we get into the election campaign. It's probably only going to increase the rhetoric. And Fang was trading off quite, quite noticeably last week. Could argue that's also broad rotation, but the politics definitely... Uh Uh, playing a part in that. Lots of tech and media stories breaking over the weekend. Joining us now is Ed Lee, New York Times corporate media reporter, and Joanne Lipman, a journalist, distinguished fellow for journalism at Princeton's Institute for Advanced Study. Both are CNBC contributors. Um, Guys, let's start with Google's coming under antitrust scrutiny regarding its new internet protocol. Ed, how does any Silicon Valley company introduce a new anything right now? Uh, And a new internet protocol, of all things. I mean, they're trying to fundamentally change the, the, the nature of the internet. I, I think it's an important move. It's not just Google. Actually, a lot of people in Silicon Valley have looked to try to make this change. Partly, a big part of it is to do to 
prevent hacking. Uh, there's a lot of hackers trying to get in at this sort of root level. Um, to doing, making this change could help that. However, the problem is, if not everyone makes a change or, or near the same time, you have sort of this fractured Internet. There's also the concern that big companies like Google will control parts of the, the, this data that other, other people, other companies can't see, namely ISPs, whether it's like a Comcast or an Internet. So um, I think it's a necessary change, but it's one of those changes that has to happen kind of more in luck. But if it is necessary, Joanne, I mean, is it the sort of thing that a company like Google should be developing hand in glove with uh, lawmakers and regulators right there in the room with them at this point? Yeah, I think you've hit the issue right on the head there, because what we're talking about here is primarily consumer data and what happens, who owns it, who has access to it, right? So... The concern, primarily the initial concern with Google, is a competitive concern with wireless and cable and what happens because they can't access that consumer data. I actually think a larger concern could be this government, regulatory, investigative kinds of concern because when they change the protocol, uh, when they're encrypting this traffic, it means that also government agencies are going to have a harder time cracking down on disinformation, misinformation, on abuse of data. We just saw that huge story in the New York Times about child pornography. It's going to be harder to crack down on those kind, sorts of things the more that you encrypt this data and the more that Google controls it. I think the question of who regulates the data, you could sort of akin to, you know, governments are regulating currency, right? Um, if it's become a sort of a way that things flow and get exchanged one, one with the other. The Silicon Valley has always long been ahead of the government in terms of how these things are regulated, which is why they keep talking about we need to self-regulate or we should let us self-regulate. That, of course, is changing, um, given everything that we're seeing with the fallout with whether it's just hacking or disinformation or, right. as Joanne pointed out, with pornography and child porn. It's terrible. Andy Kessler writes in the journal today in the op-ed page, uh, Silicon Valley goes soft. He says attacks from media and government have cowed tech firms from making bold moves. And uh, an extremely bold lead to this op-ed is, I miss Travis Kalanick. He misses the brazenness of Mark Zuckerberg when Facebook's mantra was move fast and break things. I mean, do you think it's gone too far in the other direction? Um, I think that's a, that's a pretty extreme argument to make. I mean, look, look where we are now. It's, and it's not just you had WeWork last week. You had Uber. You have these companies that have these big, charismatic leaders that get these extreme valuations. That's what's led us to this technology bubble that we're in. Um, and, and, you know, it's really... You think it's a bubble? I do think it's a bubble. I mean, particularly when you look at the non-tech firms, right? If you're looking at WeWork, Uber, Lyft, uh, even Juul, these are the, the companies that um, have had difficulty... Right with their valuations that have had these crazy valuations. It actually reminds me a lot of 2000. Um, those old enough to remember 2000 will remember recall that all you had to do was put .com at the end of your company name and suddenly your valuation soared. But and the difference is these companies have tens of billions of dollars of private money. They are not wanting for money. They have They're enough not money for to money, expand. But I, I think Joanne brings up a right point, which is there is a, a, a question right now, sort of this existential question over what is a tech company, what isn't a tech company. Are they just trying to put this, the equivalent of putting a dot-com after their name to get these sort of tech valuations, which is why we're seeing this pullback right now, right, on the IPO market. So I think on one hand, there is this sort of brazenness, this sort of cowboy attitude with some of these startups. On the other, the idea of this op-ed that, oh, you know what, that we need to, we need to let them off the hook a little bit so they can really continue to innovate. 
I think it, we're in a different phase now. Like companies like Facebook and Google, they're the establishment. They're the guys at, at the top of these things. So the innovation is going to happen from these startups, that, what, whatever the next wave of startups might look like. When you say the pullback that we're seeing in the IPO market, is that because of the likes of WeWork or even Endeavor that have actually had to pull their IPOs? Or is Lyft uh, and Uber, Peloton last week, Smile Direct, right. already decided that that was a failure? Or are we still too soon to know that? I mean, think of Facebook. I think it's year. too soon to know that, but it's one of those things where these private, you know, privately held companies are sort of seeing the scrutiny of the public markets. It's like you have to have an actual business mm-hmm. before they invest in you. And I think there, there's an even bigger gulf now between how private investors think about what they want to invest in with versus public markets. It's usually you want to get to a point of maturity so that it can be tested on the public markets. They haven't brought it to that level of maturity. Maturity doesn't mean size. It means discipline. It means sort of balance sheet, etiquette, all this kind of stuff. They haven't really figured out. And it is too soon, but I also think that we need to scrutinize the people who are putting in the valuations, the investors, the VC community, that they're the ones who are bidding up these phenomenal valuations. And a lot of them appear to be being snowed by these big charismatic leaders. All right, we want to get your thoughts on our next story, and Joanne. Good news for Spider-Man fans. Sony and Marvel announcing they've reached a financing agreement for the third movie in the Spider-Man Homecoming series. Uh, Ed, how financially lucrative will this be for both companies, and is it just good that there wasn't a divorce here? I think it's good that there wasn't a divorce here. Of course, you know, what it came down to is Sony wanted to maintain their 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 box office revenue off of this, and Marvel's like, look, we're responsible for this whole franchise becoming as big as it is right now, so we need to more, own more of that. That's where the negotiations came down to. I think it's good for both sides. You don't want this divorce to sort of fracture the, the whole, uh, you know, the fan base. The fan base is the one who really drove a lot of this stuff. Of course, I think a deal was in the offing anyway. It was a negotiating position on both sides. It's good for both. Yeah, I would agree with Ed here in that the, um, they needed to do this. They needed to do it for the fans, but they also needed to do it. If you look financially here, they've had something like um, uh, $22 billion, I believe, in ticket sales for Marvel Universe. Marvel's amazing. Uh, for films over the last 11 years or so. So, I mean, this is a financial um, win for both. What, giant do you make of uh, HBO and Ellen DeGeneres potentially? You know, that's a really interesting deal because HBO has always been sort of the prestige network and Ellen is much more mass. And if you recall, back when the deal was done, when AT&T made the purchase, uh, Stanky got up there and, and actually in a speech to HBO employees said, we need to think differently. And he's really moved them away from sort of that mass uh, uh, from the from the prestige um, pedestal that they that were was on. that was a stunning moment in sort of in this sort of our little world of like media in terms of how that's operated because for outsiders it sort of seemed obvious like well of course you wanted to broaden HBO's popularity and you wanted you bought this thing to make it bigger but for longtime you know HBO watchers and people inside the industry that was a huge shift sort of mental shift in terms of well Is we need to do this thing. a corollary that we should be looking to see whether this is successful because you think of Ellen as the just the um, you know, the exemplary daytime personality. Chelsea right. Handler going to Netflix, probably not exactly. A- not quite the same thing. I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to ultimately broaden the appeal. I think Ellen DeGeneres is, is a great totem of that idea. Right. At the same time, we're talking about HBO. It's, it's more specifically HBO Max, which is the broader service. HBO is still its own little thing. 
the end of the day, it's not going to matter. It's, it's all HBO. HBO, the brand, is becoming a different yeah, thing. Perhaps also, not going after the, the former Game of Thrones. Also watchers. worth right. mentioning, just because you've got mass market appeal doesn't mean you're not prestigious. And She's pretty Oh, absolutely. No, she's very good. It's, about, exactly right. it's about broadening the audience. And HBO Max also has the streaming rights for Friends, for The Big Bang Theory, and it really does change sort of what the brand is. But I, I do think the larger point really is this competition for talent that is bidding up prices for Everyone. I mean, oh, we've good. seen this with <laughs> Netflix. We like to hear that. Uh, anyway, keep that going. That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, what's next in the U.S.-China trade war? Plus, pizza drama. Papa John's is serving up a new business strategy, and its new-ish CEO, who is not John, will be on Squawk Box. Catch the highlights here on the pod. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. No, please, not me. You don't want to go to Mars? You don't want to go to Saturn? I don't want to go to space. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.